gentlemen, the show is about to start in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. It'll be fine on the mountain. It's time for Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Built by the Barnuminium Company, served by Chicken Cock Whiskey, and part of the Chief Sports Network. Juice Wells, all the way, touchdown Gamecocks. Pressure, Penny just dives in. All right, greetings and good morning. Welcome aboard and welcome home inside the Gamecocks, the show, live from the Sinorama Studios and built by the Barn Dominium Co., thebarndominiumco.com, where you can build your dream home for as low as $160 per square foot. If you live in the Carolinas, if you live in Georgia, or if you live in Tennessee, and that's where South Carolina will be living coming up on Saturday night in Neyland Stadium. We're served by Chicken Cock Whiskey. It's the finest bourbon I've had, and that's for sure. If you want to find it anywhere near you, just pull up the Chief Sports app and click on the Chicken Cock logo on the home screen, and you can click the uh, Find Near Me button, and it'll take you right to any stores that have it, wherever you may be. JC will be along in just a moment. He has wrapped up JC and Morgan from this morning. Phil, Phil Monax, and of course myself, I am uh, back and glad to be with you here following South Carolina's victory this weekend over Mississippi State. Much to Discuss in that one around the SEC and beyond. John Whittle will join us in about 15 minutes with the bigspur.com as well. We'll get his thoughts on what uh, transpired under the lights of Williams Bryce Stadium in an electric atmosphere Saturday evening. Uh, lots of uh, lots of praise coming from Starkville on the atmosphere that uh, we've got here in Columbia, and that certainly has been neat. And then we got Pat DeMarco coming up at noon today. He's got a golf tournament to play in, though, so we're going to forego this week's version of Pat DeMarco play calling, essentially, uh, in the video room. But we'll still be talking ball uh, with the former NFL and South Carolina legends. So with all that said, though, Phil, uh, good morning. It is a warm day, probably the last or the last real warm day of the year, at least, as it uh, as it seems now with a cool down coming and hopefully Carolina continues to heat up in the SEC. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I think we found out some things. Still got a few more questions to answer after Saturday's game, but yeah, it's a beautiful weekend. Enjoy it while it lasts, but I am, man, I can't wait for the cool weather and happy to have you back, brother. It's a, uh, I know it's been a tough weekend for you down there. And, uh, you know, we've all, we've all been there in spirit with you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it uh, it that uh, some people, I guess, probably don't think the same way I do, and I and that's fine. I understand it, but I didn't have a better friend in my life than 
capers that I've had, I've had him since college. So, uh, almost 16 years, we've literally done everything together. It's been, it's been a rough few days. And, um, so I'll honor him today by putting him in the background here. That was, uh, only a couple of weeks ago, uh, as he was looking at me like, dude, I need more water and maybe some cheese or something. So, um, we'll miss him. There's no doubt. And, um, but I'm sure he enjoyed that win on Saturday night up in, in heaven too. So, Oh, yeah. I appreciate it, and thank you all for carrying the load around here on Thursday and Friday, and um, and I'm glad to be back with everybody. The Nana Sports chat box, of course, is uh, is open, and you can jump into the comments there, and uh, we'll we'll get your get your stuff into our program. Also, you can text us at eight zero three seven six six sixty three twenty eight zero three seven six six sixty three twenty if you'd like to. Um, send a message via the via the text line. We can mm-hmm. fuss and discuss some of that as well. And uh, but um, you know, Phil, look, it, it was a nice win. I mean, uh, clearly, look, they, they outside of the bombs that um that went down the field, which that that's a big problem. They got to fix that problem. I'm not I'm not trying to minimize it at all. Um, out, but outside of those few plays, I mean, you you know, you you saw what you need Carolina to look like. I mean, they stopped the SEC's top rushing offense in its tracks, 23 carries for only 32 yards. They ran the football. Shane Beamer now 14-1 and at Carolina when they hit the 100-yard mark, and they got 144 of those. Would have been well over 150 if it wasn't for the three kneel downs in the final drive. Um, you know, Spencer Rattler stayed as hot as, uh, as he's been. The offensive line continues to get better. The defensive line continues to get better. Xavier Leggett continues to shine. And you found your answer running back. And um, I know at least I've been talking about Mario Anderson for a while. And he got his his time on Saturday night. It was a, You know what it was? You had a former NFL offensive coordinator up there. And um, it felt like a very NFL-style running game uh, with uh, 26 carries for 88 yards and a touchdown. That's kind of the, the name of the game when you're a workhorse back in the National Football League. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It was, uh, you know, I was glad that Anderson was showcased um, Saturday. I know a lot of us have been, you know, kind of itching to see that. Uh, the You can see this youth movement on the offensive line kind of coming to fruition and that where I was not necessarily ready to say it looks, you know, that the left side of the offensive line is solid completely. I'm, I think after this weekend, with big tree in there at left tackle, you've definitely found your answer for this year. Uh, Arjulo at guard, Vershawn Lee at center. Uh, you know, I liked ball at right guard. I, I you know, it's just about there <laughs> getting there. And I think it made a big impact having, uh, having a solid side of the line that, uh, could actually, you know, help a guy like Anderson run between the tackles and actually not just, you know, stall out, but go somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question. Look, I, you know, we're, um, we're, th- th- this, this team is, uh, they're, they're defining their roles and, you, you know, good coaching staffs, they make sure that guys understand what their role is and, and why it's important. And, you know, for a guy like to carry on joiner who, uh, you know, has done nothing but give every ounce of him to the University of South Carolina. Um, you know, his role, while I think he hoped and 
the staff hoped and pretty much everybody out there hoped that you would find magic where you're, you're getting this, this, this young man, 15 to 20 carries a game, Phil, and, and he's good for 75, a hundred yards. And, you know, that, that type of fairy tale kind of ending to someone's career from quarterback to wide receiver, to quarterback, to running back, you know, all these changes he's had, you know, it, it doesn't appear through four games that that is his role, but he he does have a big one around here, and you know, there, he's a guy. I mentioned this to JC a few weeks ago, and since then it's caught a little traction on our program. That to carry on is a guy who sniffs the end zone. He's been like that his whole career. Uh, when you when you get down there with a chance to score, you want the ball in his hands. I know that I think that might have been his the first fumble of his whole career on Saturday night. Uh, he's a guy who protects the ball. Um, We uh oh looks like we may have lost JB for a second, but I can definitely concur on what he's saying about DK Joiner. Listen, you we saw last year. Let's let's just kind of compare things over there in his usage. You get him in the Wildcat, and everybody knows where he's running, and and you know you end up losing yards or you know something worse. Then this year. It's been implemented in such a way where when he's in the wildcat, you're close to the goal line, and there's no denying him at that point. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's going to find that end zone. It doesn't matter. He's going to pick his way through. He's going to do exactly what he needs to do. Um, so, I mean, it, it's – I haven't seen very many people saying, well, you just can't turn your back on him or anything like that, or it feels like, you know, that's the reason why they're not starting – you know, Mario Anderson, which I think is completely ridiculous. That's not what's happening. Um, but like you said, JB, I mean, everybody is is starting to fill out their roles now, which is good yep. because here we've seen incremental improvement for the first four weeks of the season. And you don't want to see just stuck in the mud anywhere along that path. So it was like, we just need to continue to improve as a football team as a whole, and you still have plenty in front of you um, for the rest of the year. Well, I mean, absolutely. You know, when, when we got out of week one, and so I apologize for the internet glitch here. I'm not sure what happened. But um, but um, when we got out of week one against North Carolina, Phil, I mean, I think that, uh, unfortunately, the, 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 the negative reaction to, to this year's version of Gamecock football was that they had a long way to go in the trenches. And, um, you know, through through four games now, I mean, you know, at a, at a bare minimum, you you can absolutely say that they have gotten better each week there on both sides of the ball. And, yeah. uh, you know, so, I mean, I can't really name a position group um, that I think has gotten worse. Now, you can make the argument that what you saw out of South Carolina's secondary on Saturday night, you could, you know, potentially try to make that argument I, I i would i'm looking forward to getting pat in here in a while so he can go through the x's and o's because you know coach beamer was was very frustrated on saturday evening and i've gone back and watched the game now twice i've had a lot of time with no kids and wife around and uh and only one dog now um and you know he was very frustrated with the fact that a lot of those throws you know will rogers was just getting too much time and, you know, he's an air raid 
quarterback. He's always been a very accurate quarterback. He had to be to play for Mike, Mike Leach. And, um, and you know, so they're two-step two drop, get it out of your hand type guys, those air raid dudes are. You know, they, they're going to they're gonna count to one, they're going to count to two, and generally they're going to fling that thing down the field. So you got to find a way to make them a little bit more uncomfortable than they were making him at times on Saturday night, although they did get four sacks in the game. So there are some things to clean up there, uh, especially when you're going to play man or switch to quarters and and um, and trying to stop the run and, and things of that nature. You got a team in Tennessee that certainly likes to pitch it around. We, we're we're aware of that. And um, but overall, this team has they they got better from week one to week two. They got even though they got beat at Georgia, they got better from week two to week three. And then I think again on Saturday night they got better into week four. The things they need to get better at. I'll say this too. Um, the league is wild. Um, you know, you, it, it's, it's really, I had a conversation with somebody this morning, Phil, and, and they, they, the question was, what time do you think Florida and South Carolina will kick off? And I said, I, I, I think that that is entirely too difficult. Usually I'm pretty good at projecting kick times. Um, I know their system and how they do things and, uh, the TVs and what time slots they, they want to match up against Fox and NBC and everybody else. And um, you you can't do it right now because there's a lot of there's a lot of programs in the in the exact same spot. You're kind of living week to week to see who's who's in that upper echelon, who's kind of in the middle of the pack, who's maybe in that bottom third. And my gut tells me at the end of the year, regardless of who we think we know about at this point in time, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Ole Miss, LSU, whoever it may be. I think you're going to find when you get into December and they start making these bowl picks, there's going to be a lot of seven and fives, a lot of eight and fours, and a few nine and threes yeah. in the SEC. There's just going to be a lot of them in there, and, and this league is just going to keep beating each other up all year long. So even though Mississippi State has lost against LSU, they've lost against South Carolina, and it seems like they're not one of the better teams in the league, you know, I, I don't know that they're a team you just cross off the list either is, well, they beat a bad Mississippi State team. I don't really believe that. I think there's a lot of teams that, that still just have not separated themselves. Yeah, I think so too. And, and you know, it's like, is, is the SEC from top to bottom just, you know, pretty good and that there aren't any real dominant teams? I mean, I think you can still say number one is pretty solidly in Georgia's camp. Number 14 is pretty solidly with uh, with Vanderbilt. Although, you know, I mean, who knows what's going on in Auburn. Uh, but, you know, it, I don't know. It's a, I agree with you that there, there are going to be some real judgment calls made, like, during bowl season, you know, <laughs> because yeah. you're not going to have these teams that are just like, well, that's the 10-2 and two team. That's who we want. Uh, because that just may not exist in the SEC this year. Yeah, it might not, and that's generally how you how you judge a league. You take away that top one, and you take away that bottom one. And what do they look like there in the middle? And I just think that there's a lot of a lot of programs like that. As as JC Sherbert uh, joins us here at eleven seventeen on this Monday, September the twenty fifth. And in speaking of that, around the SEC this past weekend, you know Georgia took care of UAB. I mean, look at that. You know, we had a conversation Phil last week with Mike Morgan. And, you know, he made the pitch that LSU could potentially be the best team in the Southeastern Conference. They barely survived Arkansas at home this weekend, having to kick a field goal in the waning seconds of the ball game. 
Bama, you know, defensively played really well in beating Ole Miss 24 to 10. Tennessee, you knew that they were going to do against UTSA. Florida slept walk through the Charlotte game. Um, you know, I thought I thought Auburn would would have a better showing than they did, but uh, they didn't. So A&M gets the win there. Kentucky controlled Vanderbilt the whole time. And hey, by the way, as good as Missouri's looked this year, you know, if it wasn't for that second quarter, they'd have gotten beat by Memphis. Uh, they they won thirty four to twenty seven on Saturday night. So I just again, my, what I'm trying to get at here by by virtue of kind of giving you the scores and the rundown is is um, I think that all of these teams are working through the kinks and trying to figure out who they are in different phases of the game, and uh, and and the Gamecocks have largely gotten better through four games. Um, and I and I don't think that that win over Mississippi State Saturday night should be discounted at all. I don't. I'm not saying anybody's doing it, but should be discounted as beating a bad SEC team. I, I I don't know. I don't know that that really right now exists. I just think you got a lot of SEC teams that you, if they can get it going, they're going to have a good year. And if they can't, you know, then um, then then they might not have such a good year. But I don't know that any of them really are bad at this point in time outside of Vanderbilt. Morning, JC. Uh, glad to good good show this morning on JC and Morgan. Glad to have you. Yeah, I had a did, did a wardrobe change. Uh, went by Britain's before the game on Saturday and uh, was bequeathed this. Uh, I guess it's the big spur, big spur, the old mascot. It's his head. He was eight yeah, feet tall. Yeah. Uh, so uh, nice, I remember uh, yeah. wearing the Britain's today. Had to put the visor on. Um, I agree with everything you guys just said. Because it's it's there are no bad wins, and I, I don't know, you know, I didn't notice a lot of grumbling after the game on Saturday night, uh, online or other words. Otherwise, I, I thought it was a solid win. Obviously, there's some things that were very different about this game than, than what we've seen from this team so far. Run defense different, run game different, pass defense different. So, <laughs> uh, same with Mississippi State. So it's kind of a, a strange game in that regard, but. Hey, a win is a win, and like you said, two two through thirteen this year in the league, shake them up in a box and pull their name out of a hat because there's going to be a lot of games like Carolina Mississippi State that determine where teams fall in the pecking order from here on out. Yeah, there's no question. And when you got a quarterback like Spencer Rattler, you can beat anybody in South Carolina's schedule. Um, they can beat anybody that's left on it starting this weekend in Knoxville. We're going to talk about that game and go back and look at the Mississippi State game a little bit closer with the great John Whittle from the TheBigSpur.com. We're teed up by TravelingCountryClub.com. If you want to play golf in the Carolinas this fall, you probably want to do it with them. you got 45 courses to choose from, from the mountains all the way to the seas. If you're going to head up to Knoxville this weekend, why not make a trip to Waynesville or something on the way, play around the golf, then go up there and watch the Gamecocks topple rocky top we'll talk about that more when we return with john whittle electric bikes of charleston offers the most fun you'll ever have on two wheels (laughs) magnum velotric invented bikes and more and they sell to consumers all across the state and offer outstanding warranties and service after the sale five levels of pedal assist plus a throttle help you handle the southern heat better but still get great exercise bikes are available all ages and sizes electricbikescharleston.com or stop into their store in mount pleasant electric bikes of charleston powering inside the gamecocks the show electric bikes are charleston 
Golfers and wannabe golfers, former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor is now a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina. In-person golf lessons are held at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course nine or 18 holes. And if you're outside of South Carolina, Meredith conducts virtual lessons. Just send in your golf swing for analysis. Gift cards are available for in-person one-hour lessons. Connect on Twitter at Mayor Taylor and find her online at McKellarEnterprises.org. Her email is on the website. Schedule your next lesson today with Meredith Taylor, former Gamecock golfer. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams, or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs, or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in Southern soil, are crafted by Southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Welcome back. Segment two, hour one, inside the Gamecocks, the show built by the Barndo Co. By the way, ESPN, after four weeks, according to their FPI, they rank the schedules that have been played uh, to this point. South Carolina has played the second most difficult schedule in college football, according to those rankings, which I would feel like those are generally pretty accurate because they, they have the information and the results uh, to be able to go back and kind of do that. Um, so Carolina two and two, of course, through that stretch, one of those two wins is a victory this weekend under the lights of williams Price Stadium. The folks in Starkville, by the way, have been raving about the atmosphere. It's pretty neat to see if you are in the administration in Columbia. They've worked hard to get it there. And, uh, John, we've watched it evolve over the years. But glad to have you in and um, your opening thoughts here on that seven-point victory for Carolina. Maybe I'm a little bit different than than some others, but I, I thought South Carolina was was in control pretty much the the entire way. Um, you know, even though it finished as a as a one score game, and and you know there were there were times where it was very close on the scoreboard. It didn't feel like South Carolina was really ever in real jeopardy of of, of losing that game. Um, you know, they made uh, a few adjustments late in the game on on uh, on on the on Griffin and kept kept marks quiet for really the entire game so you know I, I thought it was a, a pretty good performance overall but certainly have to clean up some of those big explosive plays on on the back end yeah no doubt I mean let, let's start with something that needs more attention than it's getting 23 carries for 32 yards the SEC's leading rushing team coming in 
Well, I mean, it, it's being overshadowed because Will Rogers continued to go over the top to number five and in the big plays kind of stole the show um, this weekend. So that's where the criticism has kind of drowned out the the success. But they, they didn't slow the run game down for Mississippi State, John. They put it to sleep. I mean, it was and, – and that's been a problem for Carolina th- this season. And we, that was a concern going into the game. You know, as far as that goes, I mean, if they can do anything remotely close to that moving forward, remotely close, <laughs> you know, you got to feel pretty good about who you are. That was an outstanding performance over there. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, I've, you're certainly correct in that. I also think it's worth noting that um, – you know, South Carolina's defense was selling out to stop the run too, and yep, that's, they were. that's why Mississippi State was able to hit on on some of those deep balls uh, like like they did. I mean, coverage obviously wasn't great, and there was some miscommunication, some slips, and various various things that happened. But South Carolina was fully devoted to to stopping the run this game, which opened up some of some of that those passing opportunities. So, you know, it's about finding the right balance, and and they obviously didn't have it early on, but but things got cleaned up a little bit later. Some things changed a little bit a little bit later. Um, so I, I, I was encouraged overall by it. But, yes, I, I thought South Carolina's uh, front played played great uh, from, from a defensive line standpoint, especially – I thought they played great in the first half run run defense, and they added the – the, uh, the the pass rush element a little bit more in the second half, too. I thought they did better there winning their one-on-one battles. And, uh, you know, Stone Blanton graded out, I think, uh, his highest game of the season by pro football focus. Uh, Debo Williams, you know, didn't have his best game but still played well. I, I thought I thought the front uh, overall was really, really good. Thought, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead, JC. But I thought Boogie Huntley had his best game of the year. He did. Uh, so did Jordan Strong, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Strong and – I saw Tonka bat down a pass and play well, and T.J. Sanders continued to play well. So, and, and then you know guys like uh, J.T. Gear getting in, tipping a pass, uh, being active with his hands. Desmond Umiazulu got twelve snaps. Oh, that was solid. I, I thought Sterling Lucas and Travian Robertson also played more defensive linemen this week. They rotated them better. That gives you an advantage in the fourth quarter, and that's what most good defensive line coaches do. They they try to rep them, roll them throughout the game, and then by the time you get to the end, you know, your guys are fresher and appear to be that way. Um, yeah, so, John, you, you were spot on about the D-line linebackers. This was different in the secondary. I mean, this is this was just really unlike the Gamecocks. Uh, and you had an article in Big Spur where you kind of are, I guess it may have been Hale. One of you guys had an article where you broke down the issues. Uh, talk about that a little bit, and you know what you saw. Uh, other than they were selling out to stop the run, uh, you know specifically. I mean, was O'Donnell Fortune's absence that big of a deal, communication-wise? You know, what was it in your opinion? Yeah, got got to give kudos to Hale uh, on that one. That that, that was his story. Um, I get him confused. <laughs> I just read him. Don't be paying attention. That stuff. No, no, all good. But yeah, um, I, I I think. I think fortune out was, was a little bit detrimental, but I thought judge Collier stepped in and, and played really well overall. Um, you know, I, I think DQ certainly had some trouble in, in defending one of the fastest players in the sec out of that nickel spot. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. that's something I think you're going to have to uh, evaluate uh, a little bit more going forward. And I'm, I'm not here to say that DQ Smith can't play nickel. He's, he's done it really well at times. Uh, but, if, if he's there on, on that guy, then he's going to uh, need a little bit more help 
against a guy like that. So he's he's not best in coverage, uh, but he's 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 okay in coverage. But he's not going to be great against against a great receiver. So you know they're they're going to have to they're going to have to uh, make make some calls on how to adjust for for those things. Uh, but they did they did make some changes over the course of the game. It seemed like Marcella style was was uh, was shadowing Griffin a, a little bit. Um, and you know they were able to to play off a little bit more later in the game when they went up two scores and make things more difficult for, um, with with uh, Mississippi State not running the ball later in the game. So you know I, I, I thought overall it, it ended up being okay, but certainly certainly there's going to have to be uh, is you're going to have to learn from this, I guess, if you're Clayton White and if you're those defensive backs. Look, there's that's on tape now. So, John, if there, uh, if Tennessee or anybody else out there down the road has uh, somebody who can create a matchup like that, they're going to do it. I mean, we, we know what's coming now. So does South Carolina, most importantly. But Shane Beamer said at halftime the other night he wasn't he wasn't thrilled as I went back and watched the tape yesterday with uh, Cole Kubelik. And you can mitigate some of those matchups by just getting to the quarterback. So I got a feeling that's going to be quite the emphasis this week. They did. You just mentioned it in the second half. They made some changes. Had four sacks this weekend, nine tackles for a loss. They, Like you said, they sold out to, to stop the run. But um, but they're going to have to continue to put more pressure on guys uh, if they want to prevent some of those one-on-ones they, they might be a little bit uncomfortable with downfield. Yeah, and, you know, that's – Though you mentioned the tackles for loss and, and sack numbers and batted down a bunch of passes, I mean, you know that that was a good game for those guys. That was a really good game for those guys, and you know it, it was certainly standout compared to what it's been for for uh, parts of this season. Uh, you know, it was a big struggle in those areas uh, the the first couple weeks of the season. Um, got a little bit better against Georgia and, and was really good against Mississippi State. And, and they, they don't have a bad offensive line. They're not the best offensive line South Carolina is going to face, obviously. But but they're they're a, a solid group overall. So, you know, I, I thought those guys played great. And and I thought JT Gear, even in limited snaps, he he affected the quarterback on, on multiple occasions. The first snap he had is, is a Gamecock. I mean, he got, he got in there and, and hurried the quarterback a little bit. He wasn't given credit. For that one, I, I still don't really know what the standard is on on crediting a guy with a quarterback hurry, but you know he uh, he certainly had had Will Rogers moving moving forward a little bit as he was rushing from the backside and and uh, had had a uh, off target throw. So you know I, I thought I thought he played well, and as he continues to get his legs back underneath him and and gets used to what's going on here, I, I think he's certainly going to be a, a really big help. Let's flip it over to the offense. Mario Anderson, um, very NFL workmanlike day. 26 carries, 88 yards, and a touchdown. Dow Loggins has probably seen his share of stat lines that look like that for running backs because he called plays for a long time in the league, John. But um, Coach Beamer said something I think really important the other day that probably needs to be the focus of conversation, at least for guys like uh, uh, me, us collectively, um, you 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 look at things like yards per carry, and and you go three point one yards per carry. That's that's not that's not good. I wouldn't say that's really establishing the running game. You know, in a perfect world, it's not. But Shane mentioned the other night we we had to get out of. I, I say we they, but this is how he was saying it. We had to get out of second and eleven and second and twelve. I'd much rather be at second and eight and second and seven. Then second and eleven and second and twelve, especially when you got a guy named Spencer Rattler at quarterback, 
and especially when you have continued to utilize that perimeter passing game as kind of an extension of the run, so to speak. And we've heard a lot of that lately, John. So kind of speak on what you saw out of Mario Anderson and his running style and how he has been able to take what we've seen as negative yardage plays over the last few weeks and at least turn them into something positive. I think your first sentence was a pretty astute observation, JB. Good, good work there. It was a very NFL-style rushing performance. Like when, when you're when you're an NFL back, you don't get eight and ten and twelve yards a pop very often. Like a good run is is three or four yards because you're you're progressing in that in that series of downs, and and you're you're keeping all options open. And and I, I thought that's that's a great great point that you made and and I thought Mario did did a really good job of that you know he wasn't popping a whole lot but he wasn't going backwards and you know that's been a, an issue so far for the Gamecocks and you know I don't have the numbers in front of me in terms of zero or one yard carries but I, I feel like most were we're getting we're getting at least a few yards out, out there for him so I, I thought he did a really nice job of being powerful uh, he made some guys miss at times, in, including on a pass out there uh, towards the far sideline and in some open space on mm-hmm. a little swing pass from from Rattler. So, I mean, I, I was I was really impressed with what he did. He shows a little bit more of the uh, running back traits and some smoothness uh, to, to him as a running back than, than maybe to carry on does. But, you know, to carry on got in there and, and had a nice, powerful touchdown, too. So um, it, so I, I, I thought it, I thought it was a good, good. Uh, day on the ground overall and you know Shane said Dowell said and anybody with two two bits of sense understands that you've got to have it look at least a little bit of a run game to be effective over the course of the season and the only way you're going to get better is by doing it so you know as, as much as it would be nice to watch Spencer Rattler go out there and pitch it around 60 times a game I don't know that that's always the right idea I think it was probably in hindsight uh, at least in hindsight on my part uh, for South Carolina to to try to force the run game some against this pass defense, or, or excuse me, against this Mississippi State defense, and and uh, see if you can figure some things out. And I think they uh, I think they figured a, a, a few things out, and we'll use this as a nice um, starting place to to keep growing. Yeah, I want to make a couple points here, and I, I'd love to get JC into this conversation too because. Um, I, I I mentioned Saturday night at, in the in the game to somebody I was sitting with. I said, you know, Mario Anderson, you can say the things like, well, he he looks more like – he runs like a running back. He looks like a running back. Yeah. So what does that mean? And the the, the one thing that, that really stood out to me was he, he has – of the backs that we've seen this year, um, he has the best ability to make the first guy miss. And that's really important if you're a running back, and it's even more important if you're in a league like the Southeastern Conference – because uh, you're not, it's not always going to be clean as a whistle back there when they hand you the football, you know. And um, and so I think that that's a very important thing. The other thing that I noticed was, and I understand that some people were a little bit frustrated by this, and and and, and I and I get it. Um, but you know, they they really simplified the run game, guys. And we've got Pat coming up, and we'll let him kind of dive into that a little bit more from an X's and O's standpoint. But you saw a lot of the same stuff over and over. And over, and it was almost like they finally said, "Forget it." What are much John? Just like they did with the quarterbacks when they were building this playbook throughout the spring and throughout the summer. What are these guys good at? What are they comfortable doing? 
and let's rep it over and over and over again. And then when we get in the game, let's just be the very best we can be at doing that. And that's what it felt like running the football on Saturday night. Do you did you guys see anything like that? Would y'all agree or disagree with that? I uh, yeah, I, I I think so. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't rocket science. Well, very exotic. It's just uh, right there, but um, you know, and I think with Mario, that, that's probably a key. Um, I mean, look, there, there's a reason why he wasn't the starter. And the DK still is. And I think a lot of it has to do with adjustments, um, even though he did have spring practice, you know, getting that playbook down cold. Uh, because, look, this is still going to be a pass-happy offense. It, it, it wouldn't matter who was back there running back. Uh, you got Spencer Rattler. You got a bunch of really good receivers. You got a great passing system and scheme. You're going to throw it a bunch. Um, and so with that being known, you're probably not going to put a starting running back out there that can disrupt that. In other words, missing a pass block or not knowing a blocking assignment or not knowing a route on a certain play, uh, you know, that kind of thing, or not knowing your intricate parts of the run game, that kind of stuff. Well, you know, here he is, you know, he's out there and obviously just carrying the football, uh, you know, he, he's outstanding. And, you know, I, I think, after watching him run in a game against Furman and then watching his couple carries against Georgia, compared to that to DK, at least between the, the 20s, you need that guy. You need that guy out there to give you that run threat. He's got good low center of gravity. He's hard to bring down. He's quick on the So You know, he reminds me of a little bit. It's the first Mike Davis. Uh, remember the first Mike Davis? <laughs> not, not, not the second one. There's, there's been two that were pretty good here. Uh, that first Mike Davis, yeah, he had he kind of that low center of gravity. He was about five nine, a lot like Mario is. He keep his feet going. I'll never forget the when he leaped into the end zone against Clemson in 06 on a draw play. Uh, that's kind of that. He's kind of that same type of guy, hard to tackle. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think they did simplify it a little bit, but that's fine. I don't I don't know that you need an intricate running game when you run this offense. I think you've got to run it for pride. you got to run it for uh, the honesty, honesty of the defense and balance. But, uh, you know, make no mistake about it, South Carolina's offense is a pass-happy attack this year, and and, and rightfully so, and they're going to continue to do that. You just yeah. – you know, Saturday was almost the perfect time, though, because uh, it's not just Mario that got confidence. It's Spencer running the football. Y'all, y'all know Spencer ran a zone read? Yep. It, well, that's what I was. That's what I was getting at. Wide yeah. open around the end, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of something that everybody's got. To, uh, defensive, defensive defensive coordinators have like a checklist. What do we need to stop? Okay, and I don't know that they ever put South Carolina's run game on that list the first couple of weeks. Well, now it's like okay, well, this this guy's pretty good, and Spencer will keep it and run and blah blah blah. And then they don't get to everything, and so you have these passing uh, plays that that they come out. Because they're adjusting to try to stop your run, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was big for the offensive line too, John. Uh, and I, I'd like to get your thoughts on those guys. You know, I was told this week Fugar was still starting. Fugar did not play. Uh, Tyshawn Wanamaker, uh, who has started at right tackle before, got out there and played every snap and wasn't always beautiful doing it. Uh, I think one of the sacks that got highlighted was him, and it was – Spencer held the ball for a while back there, but he finally got turned him loose. But, you know, he played. Uh, I thought Ball and and uh, our boy Big Tree, I mean, they didn't play like freshmen. They're, they're the best on the team. So, 
you know, true freshmen or not, they're going to play for the rest of the year. And I, and I thought being able to get a push in the run game like that, and then the, the touchdown run at the end when they were shoving them in the end zone, Stephen Garcia style or Marcus Lattimore style from Florida in 2010, that play could have given a spark um, to the run game, you know, for the rest of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's all <laughs> great points. I, I, I especially like the one about the fact that you, that you said that the performance gives the entire offense uh, a little bit of a little bit of confidence going forward. Spencer and and what they can do in the run game, the offensive line, and what they can do in the run game. I, I really like that run at the end of the game that that, that you highlighted, and you know the, these guys graded out pretty well. I mean, I, I thought all those guys played pretty well. Vershawn Lee played well. Nick Gargiulo played well. Tree played well again. I, I mean, I thought I thought those guys all played pretty good. And and even Tyshawn Wanamaker, too, uh, out there. You know, I think a lot has been, been made about, you know, his physical stature and where he is from a, a physical standpoint this year, and, and probably rightfully so. But, you know, I, I thought he held his own out there for the most part. And, you know, I, he's, he's got He's got experience too. I mean, there's one reason why or there's there's a reason why coaches like playing playing old guys who have who have been out there before is because you know they can make up for their shortcomings a little bit or know how to do know how to do so. So you know sometimes they've got to balance you know what's what's right in in that experience department versus the talent department, and they're I think they're they're finding that that right balance right now. Tree is obviously as a true freshman, the best guy at left tackle. And, you know, it looks like they found something in ball who played, who played about twice as many snaps as, as Jakai. And, but, you know, maybe, maybe that right tackle, maybe, maybe Tyshawn's experience is, is helping him win that thing out. So, you know, I, I, I feel really good about, uh, you know, what, what I saw from, from that offensive line this week. I, I think they've progressed. I think folks made, made a little bit fun of Shane uh, after that first week when Shane said, you know, get your shots in now. Cause because uh, they're going to be better at the end of the year, and you know they've they've they have gotten a lot better. John Shane Beamer's won 17 games now at South Carolina. Do you know what his record is when they run for 100 yards? Something in O. One. 14 and one. Oh, okay. 14 and one, and um, so that goes to show you. I think he's three and 12 when they're under 100. I mean, it seems like the recipe's there, right? You know, how do you continue to grind, grind out over 100 yards on the ground each week? It just seems to click. And watching Dowell Loggins, and I want to turn our attention to Tennessee because I think that's you know, needs to be discussed with you. But watching Dowell Loggins call plays, especially early in the game, he just really seems to settle. I mean, Rattler's locked in, but he, he, his play calling seems to just settle everybody in offensively. What, what, do you pay, how close attention do you pay to that at the beginning of the game? And do you think that that's a reason why a lot of these guys continue to get better week to week? Oh, certainly. I, I mean, I, I think that's big, a, a really big deal. I, I think Spencer Rattler also has some some freedom into making some calls and some checks and, and influencing some things up there too, which obviously is going to help him be comfortable with, with what's going on. But you know, JC made a great point in his uh, post on the message board this morning, kind of evaluating the Mississippi State game, talking about how Dowell has done a nice job as a quarterbacks coach beyond just just an offensive coordinator. And you know, some of that is is uh, you know maybe tweaking mechanics and and what have you. But 
a lot of that is just building building a rapport with with the guy who's going to uh, be leading the offense. And you know, I, I think he's done a, a phenomenal job from from those standpoints. And, and Spencer taking his game to the next level is is certainly indicative of that. So I I mean. I, I think Dow. I think Dowell's been awesome for South Carolina so far. I, I think he has probably surpassed anybody's expectations. I know that South Carolina, when you look at at some of the offensive stats uh, compared to other SEC schools, is is down towards the bottom in, in a lot of them. But when when you consider, you know, that South Carolina's played some pretty darn good teams so far, uh, and and what they've looked like overall, especially when you've had to work around some things, some problems early on in the year, whether it's an offensive line that's that's really struggled from a blocking standpoint, not having a true running back, uh, at least you thought not having a true running back on the roster there for a while. Uh, when you have your number one wide receiver down and your number three wide receiver down for, for an extended period of time, there's been a lot that they've had to work through, and, and I think they've done done well overall. Very Steve Spurrier-esque opening up the second half with that bomb to Xavier Leggett. Um, that was that was quite a moment to get South Carolina out in front here in the chat box. What does Rattler have to get do to get his name in the Heisman talk? It's one word, win, win, because those things will correlate uh, if they're winning games. They can't win games without Spencer Rattler having big ones. All right, John, uh, on to Tennessee. Carolina looking to go three and two before they hit a break and then welcome the Gators to town in a few weeks. Um, you know, it's <laughs> the, 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 the conversation this week is going to be about the last two years, but it's much bigger than that. Uh, this series has been dead even since Steve Spurrier arrived in Columbia, nine and nine. JC has pointed out multiple times. We're in the middle of a streak, maybe, uh, where it's three and three Gamecocks won three balls, won three Gamecocks balls. And now maybe South Carolina is working on another three game winning streak, hopefully. Um, but um, Tennessee unhappy with what happened last season in Knoxville Gamecock or in Columbia Gamecocks went to Knoxville two years ago and flat out got embarrassed in the, in the first half. That was one of a few road trips that were just, just putrid. Um, but hopefully they've ditched that out the window. So I'm not sure how much you have seen of the balls, but what we know about them, uh, some of the things you'll be paying attention to this week is Carolina gets prepared to play the football game. Well, that uh, that game a couple of years ago. Yeah, each year I I, I work with a uh, baseball program, uh, AAU baseball program, and we have one tournament in the fall, which typically requires me to miss one game. And my team had a game while South Carolina was going on. I I uh, I got that game on when we when we finished up and it was right before halftime and I watched Tennessee kick an extra point after I, I forget what the score was but that was the only play of that game I ever saw <laughs> that game was I, I, that score was so lopsided I, I didn't watch a, an, another snap so uh, but but last year's game was pretty good right uh, so, but yes, uh, in, in terms of, in terms of what I want to see this weekend, like I, I haven't, I haven't dived deep into Tennessee yet. I watched a, a good part of their, their, uh, game against Florida and, and they looked a lot more beatable than, than, uh, you know, what I, in, I anticipated. I think Joe Milton seems to still be a little bit erratic and I, I think they've got some problems in their own secondary, which is probably good news for the Gamecocks in terms of being able to uh, to to move the ball in the pass game some and 
you know, maybe maybe uh, maybe maybe they've been saving a little bit for uh, this, from this past week for next week uh, from from a past game standpoint. So, um, you know, I, I think you'll see Amari and Brown back, which which will be helpful. Uh, I, Juice, I am seriously doubting we'll be ready to go, but you know, I, I think South Carolina will have uh, certainly have some opportunity there in in the past game to uh, to move the ball and move it well. Huge week for Carolina football. Huge week. Uh, you win this, win this week, guys. You like, like you said, beat anybody on the schedule. You win Here's, this game, you're talking maybe eight, nine wins. You, you you lose, you're you're hoping to get to seven, maybe eight, more than likely. But uh, we'll see. Here's the issue: during this whole Tennessee's been down thing, and I'm not sure they're back. I think last year they got it was the season that they were back, right? But I, I'm not sure. Well, they had an unbelievable quarterback. Yeah, I'm not sure they're not seven and six again this year. Um. Like, South Carolina has still struggled mightily at Neyland Stadium. Um, you know, Carolina's had big wins at Georgia. They, they've won, you know, for the last 20 years or so. They've won at Alabama. I mean, they've, they've, they've had nice games everywhere, just about in the league, yeah, except LSU. Well, 2012, they almost beat LSU. But uh, – all the Tennessee games still, I mean, you know, they've gone up there and lost. The 2013 team lost. Um, the wins have been by the following scores, 05, 16, 15, mm-hmm. uh, 2011, 14 to 3, uh, and then 2017, 15 to 9, and a team that didn't win a daggum game in the league is sitting on the two-yard line first to goal, uh, and they just couldn't, couldn't pull it off with Jared Garantano. Um, and the Gamecocks survived. So it, it's going to take something different because, I, guys, I doubt this game's going to be 17 I mean, I it's, it, Who knows anymore? I mean, it's crazy, you know, but I, I can't see it being a defensive slobber knocker. Uh, so something, something's got to be abnormal for the Gamecocks up there. They're going to support somebody, right? Yeah. I didn't see Georgia being twenty four fourteen either. I, I don't. I, this I, I don't think you know anything in this league. I just I don't. I didn't expect Mississippi State to to it's throw for four hundred and eighty seven yards and only rush for thirty two. Right. <laughs> so I think this league is as much of a toss up as it's ever been. And you, I mean, Arkansas almost beat LSU on Saturday. I, I just After I don't know. You to BYU at home. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, BYU got beat. They beat. They got uh, somebody beat them. Anyway, Kansas, the Kansas. Jayhawks, who are off yeah. to another fast start. He's okay. got Texas this weekend. Yeah, exactly. So, John, we'll let you run on that note, my man. Really good stuff, as always. Uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll get you to give us a a, a baseball update as well, because I know those guys are kicking ball practice into gear and, and starting to get some scrimmages in here soon. And A week and, from today. Uh, yeah, exactly. Hey, see, there you go. Always looking forward to Game got baseball around here. Have a wonderful week and uh, safe. You are going to Neyland, right? Of course, I'll be there. <laughs> hey, let me let me ask you this: Is there more room in the press box in Neyland than there is in the stands? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Everything's built tight up there too, and that's that's not a whole lot of fun for big boys like me. <laughs> <laughs> is the food good at least up there? Do they give you a good meal or? 
I well, thought it was. that's another thing too. They they feed you great up there, and they've they've okay. got an ice cream box up there too that you can access <laughs> at any point. Ooh. So they're not only are they building everything tight, they're trying to make everybody big, which is probably not the best way to go either. They probably just need to serve some greens up there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get yeah. They need to JC. They need to take those numbers that they move closer together on the seats and mm. give you a couple extra inches because I had one cheek on, one cheek off one year. I had the end seat. Mm-mm. That's that, why there's that no way long. in hell I'm going to that. I, I, I don't, I'm not going there. I, 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 last time I was there, and I was about 50 pounds lighter then, I went with uh, the girl, it's the worst human being I've ever dated in my life. She's a school teacher. And we sat by, behind, right behind the Carolina band, right? And I was still, I still stood in the aisle most of the game. You know, and she was pretty thin. I was pretty, uh, yeah, my butt didn't take up that much either. Yeah. Uh, and so even at that, you know, and I can't imagine because there's a lot of, a lot of big old boys that pull for Tennessee. You ever seen a crowd shot of them, you know, it, oh, it, yeah. it, it ain't like yeah. there's a bunch of skin. I mean, look, that's where flapjacks is located. All right. Oh, <laughs> flapjacks, man. That's the thing. It's, so not only they, they stuff you full of the press box, but then you got flapjacks and Calhouns to deal with. Otherwise, hey, I like Calhoun's though. I like Calhoun's. I love, but, love uh, both those places. Yeah, I, I like it's Calhoun's, a good. It is. Flapjacks may get a visit from the BigSpur.com staff. The TBS credit card is coming out Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Yeah, there you go. That's exactly. That's what I'm. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm talking oh. about. Nah, I need, it, the good. The good part about the uh, the closed seats is I met I met two of my best friends in in Neyland Stadium for the first time because we were basically sitting on top of each other. Like it was <laughs> it was nuts. They they uh, they're still two of my best friends to this day. Shout out East Tennessee Gamecock. I was, that's awesome. That's I was right. About to say uh, you probably have never been closer to your friends in that moment that y'all sat together. <laughs> In Neyland, it's um, it is a good trip. It's a good trip. It's just it's just tough to sit in the stands there, but it is a beautiful trip, especially if you can play up there. And usually later in October, it's a, it's a neat drive. So, John, have a safe trip up I forty, and uh, hopefully the Gamecocks give you something good to cover late on Saturday night. Appreciate you. Thank y'all for having me. Thanks, John. The great flapjack eating John Whittle, uh, who will head up and uh, represent the Big Spur dot com in. Neyland Stadium, Saturday night, 7.30 kickoff. We will uh, talk plenty about that ball game throughout the week. Uh, all right, uh, we got Pat DeMarco coming up next. Uh, no film session with him today as he is on the road. Uh, he's going to be teeing off in a golf tournament in an hour and five minutes, so I told him we'll, we won't uh, get through all the film stuff, but he has plenty to, to fuss and discuss uh, from what happened on Saturday. 37 Uh, again, thanks to all of you for being so kind. A lot of you sent me a lot of really good messages. But, uh, it meant a lot because I've been pretty lonely with my family being out of town and now uh, my old man back behind me off to heaven. So thank you. I, I meant to say that at the top of the program. It, it's meant a lot, a lot more than you know. I, um, it's been a long few days. So uh, Pat coming up next, and uh, we'll get into some things a little bit later on too um, that, that, that I'd like to touch on from, from the game this weekend. Uh, the traffic, the students, uh, and the band. The band. Hats off to the University of South Carolina for uh, finally pumping that band noise through the through the speakers around the stadium so we can hear that stuff. Uh, 
they, they needed to finally do that, and they did. So well done on that point. But we'll get all that. The text line is open, 803-766-6320. Talking ball with Pat DeMarco next here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down to Ohio, down the Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And Chicken Cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, which is today Bourbon County. If you're in the upstate of South Carolina and are in need of residential real estate services, Cindy Bass Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane is for you. Ask her about the village at Creekside, all of her listings in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, married to a lifelong Gamecock fan. And many of our listeners have already bought homes from her and been 100% satisfied with the detail and care she uses. Cindy Searfoss, 864-414-5271, Caldwell Banker Kane in the upstate for your real estate needs. Building your dream home is often just that, a dream and sometimes a nightmare. But at the Barndo Company, they commit to quality and build without sacrifice. Customization, open floor plans, limitless flooring options, maintenance-free and easy insulation perks, and affordability are just a few reasons why they've been named one of the best builders in the U.S. Believe in your dreams. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barndo Company. Gamecock owned. Gamecock operated. Hey everybody, this is Mo Copper from Carolina Football. The show is painted garden and black every day by a couple of painters. Go to LetMePaintSomething.com to check them out. Go Cox. 10% off for military repeat customers or mention the show. Interior, exterior painting, fencing, cabinet staining, concrete painting, popcorn ceiling removal, and more. 803-522-6832. LetMePaintSomething.com. The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location, or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama Columbia and go Gamecocks. It's time for Talking Ball with Pat DeMarco on Inside the Gamecocks, the show, part of the Chief Sports Network.
All right, it's noon, hour two, inside the Gamecocks, the show built by the Barn Doco and powered by our friends at Electric Bikes of Charleston. Hello to Michelle Wilkins and her family, electricbikescharleston.com and Charleston Fitness Equipment. I cannot thank them enough. Pat, you'd be proud of me because we have a rower in our house now, a hydro rower, and I've been rowing every day and my body feels good. And um, one of these days, um, I'll hopefully be ripped like you, but I'll oh. never be all like you. So that's that's not in the cars. <laughs> the rower can't help me there. But um, anyways, so to we got Pat on to break down the relationship between Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift here today, and we're excited to have him. <laughs> what do you, what do you? Th- I'm just kidding, man. Um, hey, that was a hot topic yesterday. I mean, that was um, I started watching that game a little bit, and I was like, it, they showed more Taylor Swift than they did football at some points during that game. <laughs> <laughs> just you know i mean I, I what's happening in the world man i mean all right good for them um but um pat uh good win this weekend 37 to 30 i, I know we don't have a lot of time with you you gotta you gotta go kick someone's butt in golf here in about an hour so we'll let you do that but um uh want, want to talk about the run game let's start there mario anderson 26 carries for 88 yards it was a you played in the nfl for a long time you've probably seen very similar stat lines to that yes. that's an nfl type day uh, so hey, what did you, you what did you see out of him? I mean, if you can continually pop four a carry, man, you're going to keep the chains moving to stay ahead of the sticks. It's been something that we've talked a lot about the last couple of weeks is how we've played behind the sticks where we've had explosive plays, and it seems like what was this week we were able to play ahead of the sticks. Uh, we still had explosive plays, but um, able to convert in the – I mean, what was it was X's first touchdown? Was it on like third and four, third and five? It was just a – quick little drag route, but if you can give yourself third and manageable, um, those plays are there for the taking. So, um, no, but I thought Mario ran hard. Um, he kind of – he's played a lot of football, which a lot of people forget. It might have been at Newberry, but he's played a bunch of ball, and it's very much a copycat league. So, it's the same plays just against different competitions. So, he knows kind of spacing, timing, where the double teams are going and all that stuff. I thought he ran really hard, hit the right holes, uh, bounced off some tackles, um, had a decent amount of yaks or yards after contact. Um, no, I thought he he definitely answered the bell. Um, uh, you know, getting his first touchdown here at the SEC in Columbia, South Carolina. I saw the little video the Gamecocks put out yesterday. That was pretty. That was pretty wholesome. Um, he started screaming. I was like, that was hopefully cool. I wasn't like that my first touchdown. <laughs> um, I'm sure I probably was. Probably probably way more high pitched though. Um, <laughs> but uh, I thought he played well. I mean, I mean, even DK. DK wasn't quite as efficient uh, as Mario, but DK was able to stick it up in there. Scored another touchdown. Was he a four on the year? Um, I think, yeah. Which, which, I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen some of the some of the um, philanthropic work he's doing. He's donating money for every touchdown. So I think that's that's super cool. Um, but no, kind of clicked on all cylinders. Um, we're able to run the ball like that. That's what we've kind of been longing for the last three games prior, it was like, man, when's the run game going to show up? When's the run game going to show up? And when your quarterback goes 18 or 20 and you only have to throw the ball 20 times and you score 37 points, life is good. Um, so I, th- I think if you can keep keep having Spencer be efficient in the plays that he's out there throwing for, um, I mean, good things lie ahead. Yeah, man, he uh, could have been perfect on the day. The, the ball that hit uh, Trey Knox in the hands uh, – that's a, that's a, everybody's calling it a drop. That's fine to each his own. That's a tough catch for him to make. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a, I mean, Pat, that was a, that was a rope across the middle and he had to go down a few feet to try to get it and he just couldn't grab it. But, um, and then there was a, a kind of a PI that they didn't call early, a little bit later in, or earlier in the game, but uh, the, on the running game though, it, it, you're the X's and O's guys, it, it didn't look like they did a lot. You know, it looked like they kind of stuck to two or three runs really throughout the ball game and just said, we're just going to keep doing this because we were instead of getting into second and 11, second and 12, like they've been doing the first three weeks, Pat, they were in, they were in second and seven, second and six, even second yeah. and eight. That's better than being behind the sticks. So what, what, what did you see out of those plays? Because they all, they, it looked like, let's just figure this out. So at mm-hmm. least we know we can move the football. Yeah. It uh, looked like to me, it looked like a lot of split zone. So having a tight end kind of slice back across the, back across the line of scrimmage. Um, and that's affecting the run, linebacker's eyes, the D-line's eyes. It's adding extra gaps in the backside. Um, between that and I think counter, they had the tight ends moving around a decent amount, filling inside, slicing backside. So I think they kept the game plan pretty simple from a run game standpoint. And I think that's kind of what you want to do with a younger offensive line who's – I thought we were more physical than up front. Um, so we kind of were able to impose your will. So I, I, I think they did a good job of – you know, keeping them honest, we, we definitely attacked the perimeter at times too, but between mid zone, split zone, and just gap scheme, pounding them inside, I mean, I think our backs are best between DK and Mario, best when their shoulders are square, going downhill, and they can see everything in front of them. Sometimes, you know, some backs like Devontae Freeman, who I played with, uh, Tevin Coleman, who I played with, Sean McCoy, they like running sideways. They like wide zone. They like the stretch. They like seeing everything move laterally to each their own. Um, I think our backs are best when their shoulders are square, when they're getting downhill, when they're reading the, reading the linebackers and the safeties on the second level um, and kind of making them commit and let their double teams come off to them. So uh, I thought they did a really good job. Um, you know, Mario kind of a little bit of a coming out party from them for him. Um, and, and, I, and I definitely think we'll see a, a good bit more of him moving forward. And then you also got to think you still got Juju and DJ Braswell, which haven't even really haven't played too much, uh, so you still have some guys on the back end that could that can go there and take the top off too. Yeah, hopefully, would love to see Juju get in there, and um, and we'll see if they can't find a way to utilize him moving forward. Okay, um, we'll kind of go with the good and then the bad, and we'll kind of flip back and forth. Pat, clearly the 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 standout moments on defense were were the or when Mississippi State took the top off of Carolina and they completed virtually every one of them, it seemed. Um, that number five in the first half had a whole career uh, nice. worth of receiving yards, it seemed like. So what what did you see on those – I know we don't have the film room up this week with you, but what did you see was going on there? Shane mentioned getting pressure on the QB. Um, it looked like at times our guys in the secondary – uh, we're maybe a step behind. It, it certainly looked like one of those plays. Uh, they kind of passed him off to one of the safeties, and they couldn't keep up with him. Well, what was good? What would you see? Well, I think there was a big emphasis this week on stopping the run. Um, and, and Mississippi State's been a team that's been able to run the ball kind of at will so far this season. So I think we definitely maybe had an extra guy down in the box, told the safeties to play a little bit lower, trigger faster. Uh, I think on two of number five's big plays, they were kind of on play action. Uh, or run action where the safeties might have been flat-footed and then just kind of got an edge on them. Um, but they only threw one touchdown pass. I mean, the quarterback threw for 487 yards or 400 absurd amount of yards, but we got him on the ground. Um, we only gave up one touchdown, um, and I think that's big. 
Uh, I know Clayton White's one of his mantras is put the ball down. Um, and they were able to do that. So um, Nicky Minore ran down number five on the sideline on one of his big explosive plays, tackling them this 10 or 12 yard line. I think he held him to a field goal in that drive. I mean, that's four points. I mean, with as, as many explosive plays as they had on offense and like 40 yard plus explosive plays, usually those are touchdowns. Usually they don't get guys on the ground when they break that far. Um, we're able to get them on the ground and line up. So I think that's encouraging that guys didn't quit on plays. Um, you know, you definitely – we stopped the run. I mean, at, at, but at that will, you give up the, give up the deep ball. Um, but I, I think that that was part of the game plan was, hey, we're going we're gonna to stop this run. And I think they only averaged a little over one yard of carry. Uh, so we're able to execute that. But I think all around we need to be able to play sound defense, stop the run with seven or eight, maybe not eight, nine. Um, let the safeties play a little bit deeper uh, and keep teams honest because – I mean, as, as we know, Tennessee likes to sling the ball deep, too, a little bit. So uh, we can't get caught flat-footed like we did this week. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, Joe Milton, not as accurate as Hendon Hooker, uh, but he's a guy – you know, you, you almost feel like what you don't want to see happen this week in that game, not to get too far off here, Pat, because uh, I want to continue to look at the Mississippi State game, but what you don't want to see happen is him find that confidence because you know it's in there. I mean, we know that he's got the ability. He just hasn't found a way to – to be a little bit more consistent. And you, you don't want that consistency to show up on Saturday mm-hmm. night by virtue of a couple of big bops early in the ball game, and then you might have a long night ahead of you. So Yeah, uh, and also one other thing I wanted to hit on that I just saw kind of – I mean, I was sitting up in the stands with my 7-year-old and 5-year-old, so I was mm-hmm. like watching it, but kind of like uh, make sure you don't fall in your chair, make sure you don't smack anybody with your towel. So I was kind of dad duty and paying attention to football, which is, as you guys know, is, is multitasking is not the easiest thing. Um, but what I did notice is we were plugging linebackers a lot more than we had been in the past. I saw Debo running downhill, hitting A gaps, hitting B gaps. I saw Stone Blanton hitting A gaps, B gaps, running some cross dogs, hitting both of them involved, um, which was good to see. I mean, I know from when I was playing my times in the NFL, having those run through linebackers hitting it from four or five yards deep at the full head of steam, like it, it peels double team blocks. Like you can't stick on double teams, you have to come off. You know, penetration in the world of a running back. Penetration, as Bobby Turner, my running back's coach in, in Atlanta, used to say, is color scares the back. And color is penetration getting through and and kind of having to make your cut too far in the backfield. And I think we were able to do that. That's why we were able to bobble up their runs because of the run-throughs, because of the penetration we were causing, the movement up front, um, which, which which I thought was creative and, 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 and good to do. I would like to see some more of that moving forward. It's – this secondary has proven itself, uh, you know, from, from time to time. And they, there's a bunch of good players back there, and they're still very young, um, mm-hmm. at least behind Marcellus largely and David Spalding. The rest of those guys hadn't played a ton in their careers, even OD. Yep. Hopefully mm-hmm. he's going to be okay this week. But, um, but Pat, if you they – have, they have done nothing but improve at stopping the running game from week to week. And Mark Wavis, uh, whatever his last name was now uh, – or Marks, the Mar- Joe Quay, Joe, whatever, Marks. Yep. Mississippi State and their rushing offense was the best in the league coming into the game. And as you just pointed out, they, they weren't just stopped. I mean, they, they, Carolina put them to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. but is, is that kind of priority in your mind, number one, moving forward? Like, hey, look, let's not stop what we're doing here at being really good at, at, at stopping or slowing down the run, but let's make these adjustments so the secondary can kind of fill in the gaps because pr- prior to it was, well, we're pretty good at defending the pass, but we're not very good at stopping the run. 
should that be their priority and then just continue to clean it up behind them? Is that kind of what we're getting at here? Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely, I mean, over the course of the last three years, like we have not been great at stopping the run. Um, I mean, all, all, all three years where I think we've, if I had a guess just off the top of my head, we'd probably give up probably close to 140, 150 yards rushing the game over the last two and a half years. And you guys can do the math and figure out how close I am there, but just a ballpark. And, and I think it, it you have to stop the bidding at some point from, from the run game. And, and, and as, as teams can be able to just dent you and dent you and dent you, they can really wear you out. And that's going to cause you to have to start playing the run. So with more, so I think if we can do it with seven or eight, like seven or eight guys in the box, so you're thinking the four down linemen and your three backers or your two backers and your nickel would be seven. Adding a safety down would be the eighth defender. That means you got one high, you're playing some sort of cover three or cover six. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think you're going to have to figure out how to stop the run with seven, maybe eight, and be able to stay honest with three high and kind of that um, the Seattle, Pete Carroll, uh, Gus Malzahn um, philosophy of keep everything in front of you. So play three deep, three, three deep, two corners and the safety deep, keep everything underneath you and kind of uh, guard the intermediate areas, but be able to stop the run with seven or eight uh, down there in the box so you're not exploited outside or deep. I mean – I remember it was Coach Burry used to uh, – he had a play any, – anytime we got quarters, like, you know, we we sent in double cadence every single play. So you're sitting there and say, hey, and then fake it, and then you look to the sideline, and he's jumping up and down. He's like, I know the coverage. And he sends his play in, and we get it with, like, four seconds left. But if we ever got quarters, he was calling draw two mills. And it was like a, a, like a deep dig, a basic across the middle, just to grab the safety's eyes and the safety – it's coming to cut it, and then the other safety's deep, and it's just like a deep post, and poof, cut right across his face. And as soon as that receiver sticks his foot in the ground, when he gets even with that with that safety, he was telling the quarterback just just throw it as far away from that safety as possible. Our guy's got ahead of steam. Um, so I think that's the type of thing that that we might have to um, <laughs> just funny story that brings up. But quarters is the way to defend it because you're because those safeties are are involved in the run game. They're not playing it. 15 yards, they're playing at 9, 10, 12. So they're involved in the run game and filling those alleys in that run game. Um, but it makes you susceptible to ball over the top, especially on those play-action looks. That's really neat stuff, and, and and I'll tell you why. Before the season, Gene Sapikoff, to give him some credit at the Post and Courier, asked Coach Beamer um, if he had uh, – Dowell Loggins had, had mentioned one time in an interview that one of the guys he admired the most in football was Steve Spurrier. He loved watching his play calling and all that type stuff and learning, uh, trying to learn his mind, essentially. And and Gene asked uh, Shane if he saw anything in Dowell Loggins that at least reminded him of Coach Spurrier a little bit. Of course, Shane's got to be careful answering a question mm-hmm. like that because his media boys, they find a way to find a way to yep. turn it around a little bit. Yep. But, um, <laughs> but, but Dowell, as we've watched him through four games, Pat, and, and you're the expert, I'm not – I, I've been unbelievably impressed with what he's done, and I think what's really impressed me, my, in my personal opinion, the most about him is early in every game, he seems to have a game plan that gets his entire offense into some sort of comfort zone. Not just yep. Spencer, but but all of them, and they've kind of mm-hmm. brought this thing along co- collectively. Can you take that further than that as to? kind of what you've seen and, and what that means and, and what it's meant specifically to the development of the offense in its entirety? 
Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's the plan, right? Um, like, you know, the process, the plan, like all, all these type of things. But I think what he's done, and, and this goes back to my time in the NFL, and, I mean, Coach Spurrier wasn't necessarily as anal as NFL coaches were about, hey, we have our, we have our first 25. So our first 25 first and second down plays, this is how we're going to run it. These are our favorites. These are the ones we practice the most. These are the ones that we're best at. Um, so I think Dow has that that first 25 and in that it is, you know, spitting it on the edge, making the defense be honest, guarding the perimeter. That's, Hey, we're going to try to dent them up front too. We're going to soften them up on the inside. Then we're also going to take our shots. We're going to run play action. We're going to do screens. Like he just has, it's so well rounded where he's going to attack and why he's going to attack. There's, there's a why for everything that he's doing. Um, And I think he's just staying true to his plan and, and it's, and it's working, and and the players are becoming confident with them, um, and be- becoming confident in the plan. And I think, I mean, with really, if your quarterback can buy in, your quarterback can can believe in everything you're doing and telling him, and he and he can think like you're thinking, which I think that's kind of the where we're at right now with Dow and Spencer's. There, I mean, I think Spencer probably knows. Okay, now it's second and seven. Dow's probably between these two or three plays before he even gets the play in. I would imagine their minds are starting to really churn together, um, so I think that's why they're that's why they're they're gelling so well. Um, and then you got a guy like Xavier Leggett, who I mean, oh. I mean, when I played oh. with, with Julio in Atlanta, my dad would always complain and be like, "Pat, you're wide open in the flat," and I'm like, well, "Yeah, well, Julio is running 12 yards further than me, and he's uh, a lot better with me with the ball in his hands." So <laughs> throw it to that guy, not to me. I'll get you four; he'll get you 44. Uh, big difference, Dad. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I think it's the same way with same, same way with X, like just find a way to get him the ball in space, um, and let him make a play. I mean, he's, I joked around with him last year. I said, man, you run like a bucking Bronco. Like you run angry, like you're pissed off at something. And I'm glad he hasn't changed. Cause when he caught that little drag route and he turned up, I was like, if a DB is in his way, a DB is about to get hurt. <laughs> Dude. It, and by the way, he said bucking Bronco like Wyoming, not the other word. Any of you that might go, wait, what? Um, yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. You, you know, some people are working while they got this going on in the background. They're probably like, wait a second. But um, I, that's a, and there's another pretty decent comparison who was watching the game Saturday night, a guy that you know very well, Alshon mm-hmm. Jeffrey, whom you played with. Uh, I see a lot of similarities in these two, except for, I mean, those two plays, that's the first time, by the way, in school history, a wide receiver has had two uh, catches for 75 yards or more in one game. Mm-hmm. Clearly, then that would mean it's the first time in school history they've both gone for touchdowns. So he set some records on Saturday night. Um, but um, I, I've, I mean, you've watched him. I mean, you know him. Um, JC and I had, had a great chance to spend time with him a few months ago. What an outstanding human being. And and I've watched him. We watched him take the kickoff last year back, and he's had some moments. And and I've known that he could turn on the Jets, but you know, Pat, I didn't realize until and I sit in the south end zone, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize until he caught that ball across the middle early in the game Saturday night, just how, how fast, fast he, was. he was. Oh, he's a. Uh, I mean, I bet they probably had the GPS on him. He probably hit twenty two miles an hour, um, which Moving. there aren't there aren't too many guys in an NFL game that hit you know, 20 plus. And I mean, he was, he might've been faster than 22, um, which to toot my own horn, I hit 19, nine once. Um, <laughs> and, the, and, the, and, 
And the strength coaches were joking. They said, you must have got pushed in the back or something, Pat. <laughs> I'm like, you're an asshole. I'm like, let, 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 the, let, the kid feel, let the kid feel good for a couple minutes. Um, That's right. But no, I mean, his development has been just incredible. You, you knew it was there. I mean, you see him in one-on-ones, ball skills, going up and attacking the ball. You see him blocking on the perimeter. You see him covering kickoffs. You see, I mean, the dude had – 175 yards receiving. He has 560 something yards receiving, Leads five or six touchdowns. He's also the gunner on punt. Yeah, the guy's out there. He's he's going to make himself a bunch of money in the NFL, not just because he's has a chance to win the Butnikoff if he keeps doing what he's doing, but because he's willing to strap up and go out there and do the stuff that other people don't want to do. I mean, I mean, he Great. is he he might be the best gunner in the SEC. Like, and with Kai Kroger punting, I mean. Kicking at 50 yards in the air at a 4 8 5 0 hang time. Xavier Leggett's going to be in every single punt returner's face on every single punt because he's that elite. And JC, it sounds like you've got a story to write because there's nobody out there that said what he has just said about everybody's talking about Leggett, rightfully so, the wide receiver. But this is probably the second or third time on our program, Pat, that you've brought up the fact that you can make it in the NFL a long time if you're willing to play special teams mm-hmm. and play it well. Uh, take it personal, and he he takes everything personal that he does. Yeah. So, JC, after the show, I expect to see it up by about six tonight. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Debo Samuel has got her on the punt team, punt, punt team when he was here too. Mm-hmm. So there's well, kind I mean, of precedent. I mean, I can sit right. here and I talked with every single scout that came in the building last year, um, and they asked me about every single draft possible prospect we had, and. After the obvious questions, is he trouble? Is he a good cultural fit? After those questions, there was no, are they good at offense, defense? How are they special teams? Are they willing to contribute? And you look at guys like, who got drafted? Jalen Brooks. Who would have thought? I I did not think Jalen Brooks was going to get drafted two years ago. And then watching him come back and play with the attitude he played with last year and his contributing on special teams – I mean, every single scout I talked to, I relayed that Jalen Brooks is a guy that will do whatever you ask him to do, whenever you ask him to do it, and he'll ask for you to give him more to do. Um, and those are the type of guys that overcome odds. I mean, he's a seventh-round pick, made the roster first year. Like, yep. They're seventh-round picks. You're 50-50, maybe 40-60 not making the team, um, and, and, and there you go. So, I mean, I think that's it's a big piece, and I think being willing to do it in college just goes to show some of these scouts and these GMs, okay, he's the best player on the field, but he's not bigger than the team. He's not bigger than, you know, returning kickoffs. He's not trying to – he's not saving up for offense. He's not saving up for defense. He's – there's nothing left in the tank after Xavier Leggett plays a game of football, I can promise you that. His story is amazing. He's lost both of his parents, and and this is – this is one of those stories, um, you know, they have these things called this thing called the transfer portal now. He's never left. He's, he's stuck to it. He's developed. How, how would you uh, – can I mean, you watch him develop, uh, Pat? You know, you talk about Dowell was here in his last season. Um, mm-hmm. But prior to that, you know, he's been in the hands of Justin Stepp. And, you know, what would you say about Coach – I know you know Justin very well. He's a great guy. Yeah. Uh, and how he has helped – develop Xavier Leggett into the player he's become because I felt like for a while a lot of what he needed just was confidence and boy is he that 
Yeah, I mean, I think it – I mean, I know just speaking on behalf of Justin Stepp, he's an incredible football coach, but he's an even better man of the Lord, husband, father, all the right stuff. And he's he embodies that seven days a week, 365, 24-7. Um, and I think it is incredible for players to see that, how a coach treats his wife, how a coach makes – how a coach is so intentional with their kids, but also gives – the player is 110%. Um, so, I mean, I absolutely love Justin Stepp. He's, he was one of, he is one of my favorite people in that building still. Um, we talk quite often. Um, and I, I'm proud of what he's been able to do with Xavier. He's been able to develop him because he's in confidence. Um, he's been able to kind of give him the belief in himself that maybe X didn't have. Um, and X, I mean, I think his big coming out party was when he made that big touchdown catch against uh, Vandy to close it out. I mean, before that, it was there were times where we're like, man, is is X gonna is X gonna answer the call? And you know, early on, freshman sophomore year, he really didn't. He kind of backed down from the challenge, but dang, he made that catch, and he's just grown every day since. So I think it was kind of like, I got this, I can do this, I know I can. I've I've been there, done that at this point. So now, I think the sky's the limit. Uh, I mean, there aren't too many. What is he? Probably six two and a half, two hundred and twenty seven, two hundred twenty eight pound receivers yeah. that run four three. Um, I mean, that's I mean, from athletic ability, size, speed, he's kind of Megatron esque. Um, I mean, those are those are big feet to fill. But Derek Moore, Derek Moore is quite close with Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson's been in that building, um, so I would imagine that there's probably been conversations they're had in the development process and. Um, and then, but you, you, went, you were talking about Alshon earlier. I saw Alshon at the game, um, and Alshon kind of came up and gave me a hug. And I, and I had, I had kind of nudged him on me like, "Hey, you watching these receivers? <laughs> receivers are playing some darn good football." And he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "I like that 17. That 17 plays different." Um, so it, it's pretty cool to see full circle. It, it, it's it's a there's a long line of outstanding receivers is it, that have played at this university and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is uh, he is well on his way to being the next one. When that safety b- came up and bid on that throw the other night, by the way, mm-hmm. it was like, oh yeah, he's it's yeah. over. He's he's See going to the house. <laughs> um, and uh, if they had another hundred yards, he would have been uh, there. Would have been a hundred yard distance between him and the next guy. That's how quickly yep. he was moving. It's amazing. Um, Pat, we'll let you run on this one here. I mean, unless one of these guys has something they want to squeeze in, I was just going to ask you about Neyland. We talked mm-hmm. about it from sitting in the stands. It's a little tight up there. You've got more space down on the sidelines, but it is a loud place to play, and it's a wild place mm-hmm. to play at night. Yeah. Um, you were a part of the 07 and the 09 teams up there. Uh, so c- yeah. give us your experiences of what makes that place so tough to go get a win in. Uh, I mean, that place rocks. Um, I mean, it's – I mean, I remember my first time walking around in there my freshman year in 07. I, like – I glanced up, and you kind of see the lower bowl, and you like – your eyes start low, and then they keep going up, and you're like – my head isn't moving like my like I, it's just like freaking straight up i mean they're right on top of you um but i mean i think this is at, at least you know these guys play, just played at georgia right this was two weeks ago so you went and played between the hedges so i don't think there's going to be the environment will be any more hostile than than it was at georgia um, I think Carolina's starting to get a little more confidence to be able to go and play like they played two weeks ago on the road against the number one team in the country. I don't think there's going to be any blinking um, from anybody on the Gamecocks sideline. Um, 
And I mean, with as crazy and as wild as that crowd is, you can, you get up 14, you can get them pretty quiet, pretty quick. Um, so I, you got to go in there and you got to punch them in the mouth. Um, it's just like any team that comes in, into Williams Rice Stadium. They're not ecstatic. They're not fired up saying, yeah, I can't wait to make this a four-quarter football game. No, they're trying to make Gamecock Nation quiet early because they, they know what Gamecock Nation does when it's a close football game in the fourth quarter at Williams Price Stadium. So I think the the whole the whole idea will be to come out and, you know, hit Tennessee in the mouth. Uh, Tennessee's going to have a little shit in their neck too, right? I mean, last year we spoiled their whole season. Um, so yeah. they're going to come out for blood. So um, – and, and and I know Coach Beamer and Coach Limbo and Coach White and and Dow are going to have those guys super motivated to go do it again because um, anybody can beat anybody can beat anybody beat anybody once go do it again and go do it again and go do it again so um, I'm excited I think it, I think it'll be a good challenge for for Carolina um, I think our secondary is going to have to show up uh, I think Mario Anderson's going to have to continue to show up and run the ball and be able to be able to uh, carry the load from that sense. Uh, and then as Spencer Rattler keeps playing the football that he's playing, man, that guy is so much fun to watch. He's playing with such passion and confidence and charisma. You can just like I'm sitting up there in the stands, and I'm like, this dude, like this dude is unmessed with the ball right now. Like he is so locked in and so dialed in. Um, so I'm excited to watch him to continue to grow, and and it's him and Dow get more and more games together and get more and more familiar with them, familiar with each other. Um, they're going to be a special duo to watch. He's a he. When you got a guy who can throw it around like Rattler can, and you feel like that offensive line has kind of begun to figure themselves mm-hmm. out, that this is going to be a hey, just like Athens guys a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago, right? This is going to be another very difficult test for a couple of freshmen on the mm-hmm. uh, up front. So they're going to have to have that together. But uh, when Rattler's playing like he is, you feel like you can beat anybody. And um, Man, he has been uh, been special. We'll go out there and uh, what's your what's your drive at now? You're about what four ten, four twenty off the tee. Uh, yeah, from the girls' tees. Um, no, um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm hitting it right around three hundred. Um, hitting it straighter, not maybe not quite as far, but straighter uh, than I have in the past. Um, I, I contribute. I mean, I'm a little bit leaner now than I was when I was playing, so I don't quite hit it as far, um, but. My score's better. <laughs> That's all that really matters, right? That's all that drive, matters. Drive for show, putt for dough. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you and Uncle Chris ever get out there and, and put a little money on the line? And, you know, can you take uh, no, down your Uncle good, Chris? Man. No, he's – that dude is – I'm I'm a really good golfer if it's not like – I'm really good at football in critical moments. I'm a terrible golfer in critical moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and vice versa. I mean, that guy's got – just ice in his veins. Uh, I mean, I did. I played in the Forest Lake member guests last weekend, two weekends ago, and I we our last match to have the match. I had to make about a fifteen footer, fifteen foot birdie putt, and I did to have the match, and we ended up finishing second in our flight. Um, I didn't play quite as good as I would have liked, but I but I ended up on a big note with a big putt. To, that was like, okay, Pat, you got this, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I'll putting, see you playing. Putting is not my forte. <laughs> oh, me neither. Me neither. Everyone, yeah. everyone, every blue moon, you drop one in there and you go, oh, yeah, I saw it in the whole way down, you know, but uh, you didn't, you know, you just. Well, I may give you guys off. a little plug here on on behalf of you, one of the board members of the Letterman's Association. Um, really appreciate you guys being our primary sponsor of the golf tournament. That was a uh, big time. Uh, JC and you guys, um, I mean, it means a lot. 
right? Because these are past players that, you know, didn't get to live that NIL um, life, but now we are, you know, we're seeing it in full force, watching Carolina football play well, watching the baseball team last year succeed. And that's a big part of you guys and what you're doing to help fundraise and, and, and make the experience for these guys great. So um, just on behalf of Letterman, we really appreciate you guys. No problem, man. Glad to do it. Glad yeah. And I'm looking forward to playing up there in a couple of weeks and whacking it around with all you boys. And mm-hmm. just so you know, if I play well, that's how I usually play. And if I don't play well, I just had a bad day. Yeah, but don't – is, isn't this tournament one of those where for every drink it, you drink, it's one score off your off your <laughs> overall score? Hey, I learned something last <laughs> night. Flint Flint told me that he's he's planning to play. I said, Michael, you you don't even know how to swing a golf club. Oh, you know, I played in it last year. I was like, all right, well, you're not on my team. Like, yeah. I, I'm not – you can't play with me. <laughs> Are you bringing smoke up? Smoke coming with you? I got to call him. I got to call him because yeah. we need a fourth in our group. I'm going to see if he wants to come play with me or what he wants to do. I don't know. I think it's going to be me, Brendice, Stephen Flint, and then we'll, oh. I think – I think Garcia might play with this too. So we'll either win the we'll win the overall score or win the party award. One of the two. Well, <laughs> I was about to say y'all are going to walk away with this thing, and then you mentioned Steven, So who knows what could happen we, now? We might not be able to walk away from this thing. Somebody might have to carry us away from this thing. <laughs> That's the point. That's the point of the golf tournament. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting up there, man, and, and seeing you. But uh, thanks so much. I know you got to go play here in about thirty minutes, so yeah. we'll let you get out of here. Really, really, really appreciate it, brother. And yeah. I'll, I'll uh, oh. we'll see you next week. Always fun, guys. Appreciate y'all. All right, man. You got it. there. You go, Pat Demarco, uh, former NFL and Gamecocks star, uh, and uh, really good stuff there on uh, everything. Great insight uh, from his time with the university. All right, uh, we do need to uh, step aside for a break, so we will do that. And then when we get back, some other things uh, from the game this weekend. We got to talk about the the traffic was. I'm, I've got something to say on that. Um, so. Uh, that and more. Hang tight. We're built by the Barndo Co. And, of course, served by some fantastic bourbon, chicken cock whiskey. You can find it in the Chief Sports app that if you haven't downloaded, you should. We'll be right back. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope's State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Nana's Porch, nanasporch.com. At Nana's Porch, they cater weddings, parties, and all kinds of special events. Their meals are served buffet style. In seconds, they're encouraged. Plus, they can bring their mobile food unit to bring on-site and serve your guests as a unique alternative for your catering needs. Inquire about rentals as well. Nana'sporch.com. Find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 336-259-7550.
If you're on Medicare currently or approaching eligibility, it's time to enroll in a Medicare plan that meets your needs. Palmetto Medicare is here to help you through the process. Palmetto Medicare's owner, Brian Spencer, and his team of experts are here to assist you. Learn about the benefits and enroll in a plan that will cover as many of your medical costs as possible. Some of the advantages of Medicare health plans may include a variety of plan choices, increased benefits, lower premiums, and more. Give Palmetto Medicare a call to discuss your insurance and help get the exact coverage for your needs today. Hey folks, it's JB, and as we all know, it's football season. My favorite place to shop for myself and the family is Gamecock Traditions in Lexington. They have the widest selection of Gamecocks attire, plus all the cool accessories for tailgating, cooking, kids, shoes, hats, and so much more. Most importantly for me, you can order online at GamecockTraditions.com, and it's shipped timely to your door. I've been shopping here for years, and I hope you will too. Order online right now on the Chief Sports app. Go Gamecocks. Gamecocks, the show, part of the Chief Sports Network, which is very proudly presented by Dixie Vodka, uh, which uh, we had plenty of Dixie Vodka this weekend watching Carolina football. Welcome back. Uh, last uh, 20 minutes or so here on a um, Monday. A um, couple of couple of things. I want, I want to squeeze this in, uh, or a couple of things to squeeze in real quick. First of all, back-to-back weeks for SEC Defensive Lineman of the Week honors for Carolina football. How about that? Uh, hats off to Travian Robertson and his team. Uh, this week it's Boogie Huntley. Last week it was T.J. Sanders for his performance against the Georgia Bulldogs. And um, so congratulations to him. Spencer Rattler also named SEC Co-Offensive Player of the Week. I think that's his second time this season as well. And uh, that is uh, fantastic news for Rattler. All right, guys. Um, Saturday night, getting out of uh, – William, not out of Williams Price, but getting getting on the road and out of Columbia was a train wreck. I've been doing this for 35 years, and there are very few times um, that it's really been bad. This year, though, it, it, it just, I don't know, it didn't seem like they had redone the traffic patterns. I know that they've closed off some side streets and things like that, but that's where a lot of people park. Uh, they got to figure this out. They got to figure it out, and and I actually had two people reach out to me yesterday saying, "Hey, y'all got a platform? Talk about it." And I'll tell you why this is important, because um, 
you know, even if you do live in Columbia or West Columbia or or Irmo or Lexington or Blythewood or, or wherever it is, you still don't want to be just sitting in traffic for an hour just to get off of a side road. All right. But what about when you live in Charleston and Beaufort and Myrtle Beach and Florence and Greenville and Spartanburg and Clinton and, you know, Fort Mill and uh, Georgetown and Beaufort and all these other places when you, you know, you're already kicking off at 730 at night. You know, you're not going to get home till, you know, after one in the morning. And now you're not getting home till after two in the morning because they can't find a way to get your car out onto one road from outside the ballpark. They've got to fix that. I don't understand. Do what? Go ahead. Well, I was—I mean, all I'm saying is, I don't, I don't. There, there's there. They have done an amazing job with the atmosphere in in Williams Price. It, it. I agree with some of these people from Mississippi State. This, I, I, I do think it is uh, the best atmosphere in the SEC. Been a lot of places in this league. I think it's become the best. Um, but. Um, but you you don't want to you don't want to give people a reason not to come and and taking two hours to get five miles is a pretty good reason to say you know I don't feel like getting home at two thirty three o'clock in the morning and getting up and going to church on Sunday when I've got a little five year old and her seven year old in the back seat so they they need to figure that out uh, because it's not going to be an immediate effect guys it would. It would be something that would be considered in the offseason when you renew season tickets and things like that. But people come from all over the state to watch Carolina play football, and, and they got to do a better job of getting these guys moving after the game. And you know what it will also prevent? It will also prevent a lot of people from leaving with five, six minutes in the ball game to go. They won't, they're won't. they trying to get out in front of the traffic, a lot of them are. Uh, so it will stop some of that if you can get it flowing, but it, but it has not been flowing. they got to fix it. I just want to know, like, why it's gotten worse over the years. Uh, the crowds aren't any larger. Why has it gotten worse? Um, you know, and then with that, uh, I had to step away for a second, let you guys talk about that. But it has gotten worse. And it used to be best. It used to be better than Clemson or Tuscaloosa or Athens. I can assure you of that. So what the hell did they meddle with to make it worse? Is it that they've reversed roads now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So – uh, anyway, I'll be back after the break. I'll see you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a, JC. We didn't have that big for the Furman game getting out of there. Now, we we were at the fairgrounds and yeah, there you go. hung out. There. Yeah, I, I I got it, and then mm-hmm. hung out there probably about an hour after the game, just to kind of let things clear out. And we were heading the other way than you would have been, JB. So it's it wasn't uh, – it seemed like getting out from the stadium and heading at least towards the upcountry was a little – I wouldn't say easier than it used to be, but at least not – you know, it didn't seem like it took longer. So I'm not sure about heading, you know, south what that <laughs> – what, what that experience was like, but – I mean, it doesn't make any sense. JC's right. You, you've dumped all these monies into all these Im- improvements around the experience for everybody. You know why? Uh, why are we still having issues like this? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I I, I do feel like there is uh, there has been less uh, from a, a highway patrol um, uh, standpoint out there, um, and um, 
you know, a lot you see a lot of those guys, but the, the, you know, a lot of these side streets, there is nobody getting them out onto the road. I get it; they've reversed all lanes towards seventy-seven. That's great, um, but but you're kind of fending for yourself unless you're coming out of Gamecock Park. You know, they need to keep those cars in the in the, in those three and four lanes on the right side and keep that far left lane to where they can get everybody out of there and get that traffic moving. And I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to turn today into a, a complaint session after a big win this weekend over Mississippi state. That that's not the point of all this. I, I'm trying, I'm trying to be helpful here because um, you know, it, it matters. And when you ask people, why aren't you renewing season tickets and things like that? You know, a lot of the response that you get is, I got tired. Of, yeah, I love the seven thirty night kicks. Who doesn't love a night game at Williams Bryce? Man, it is something to see. But really, got tired of getting home at two thirty and three o'clock in the morning. So, you know, what can we do to to prevent or at least you know take an hour or more off of that? So, I hope somebody out there is listening. Um, I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of people. I can tell you that now. A lot of people, not just like a couple of people who live in my neighborhood. That's not what I mean here. Um, it, it is a very, very, very frustrating ordeal right now, and. Hope they can get it fixed. The the other thing, uh, Kevin, you're right. The troopers working are typically just sitting in their cars or leaning on their cars, and and I and I agree. And it's not anything against them. I, I'm I'm not I'm not sure that they're I'm not sure what their role is. They're just kind of out there. Um, certainly appreciate them getting us across the street and things like that. But um, the 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 other thing that I want to bring up real quick, and I know we got to run back to a quick quick break, is. Um, and this is something that I think has come up in the message boards, and it's something that, that does happen from time to time around here, and I, I don't love it. Don't know what the solution is, but um, certainly want to acknowledge it, is that uh, the students are, are leaving the game early. That was a good game the other night. It was not in hand. There was no reason necessarily that, that I could personally think of why I would want to leave that game early outside of I mentioned that the traffic issue if I had to drive two hours home or more. Um, but what, what you're seeing, Phil – and this is something we'll chew on another day when we've got more time, but it's it's food for thought, and maybe our wonderful audience here might have a solution. What you're seeing is everybody trying to find ways to, well, this is what we need to do to keep them in the game. This is what we need to, need to do to keep them in the game. This is what we need to do to keep them from leaving the game. And I respect all those opinions. Um, and I agree with people that think that it's embarrassing that you look up in the middle of the third quarter and a third of the student section has gone in a tight ball game in a game you really need to win. Um, but I don't think that it's a, con- a conversation about how to make students go and st- stay. I think it's a conversation about, A, why they either don't go to the game and, B, why they don't stay at the game. Like, I always went early and I always stayed after the game. But that was me, right? And th- that's yeah. what I did. I'm not saying that that is what you have to do. In no way, shape, or form am I saying that. But we, we need to figure out if you want students to go and stay, you need to figure out why they aren't going, and then you need to figure out why they aren't staying. Now, I think I know what a lot of the reason is. They want to go out there and party. Okay? Right. <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I get it. All right? Been there. I understand that totally. Um, but, um, you know, if you sent out – send out some type of survey or something that says, you know, answer this. Um, do you stay in the game, the whole game? Yes or no? If you don't, why? And be real with them. Parties, transportation, I don't care about the game because I'm from Philadelphia, whatever. I mean, put honest answers on there. Let them honestly answer it so you can understand why they're not staying. 
Um, I, I think that that's something that's important because this is a great fan base with a wonderful place, and and it's the best student section. When it's rocking, there's nobody in the country who's better than that one. I mean, it is unbelievable. Um, but I really hate looking up there and seeing them out uh, clearing out in the fourth quarter. So we got to find a find a way to not figure out ways to keep them in there. If they don't want to be in there, don't keep them in there. We got to figure out why they're not staying. So at least you know the answer, and when you get that answer. Maybe there's a solution. Got a feeling there might be a solution in the long run anyways when they start doing some upgrades around that ballpark and they'll just start cutting some seating out. And then you won't have to worry about it a whole lot. But um, but I uh, wanted to get those two things in. They're probably going to cut some well. seating anyway. Uh, uh, people, people shouldn't get upset about that either, but uh, that's another topic. But, yeah, I mean, that's my question. And I've noticed it. And, look, guys, like when I used to go to games pretty regularly, like every weekend, and uh, then I'd go to someplace like Tuscaloosa. I mean, if you've ever been to a game there and tried to get out point where everybody's going back towards Birmingham at once, it's a nightmare. You're in the car two hours, and they just accept it, right? Uh, getting out of Oxford sucks. Getting out of Athens sucks. Getting out of Clemson, South Carolina sucks. Yeah. We Columbia used to have the best – one of the best – because you got two interstates right here. You can, you can kind of bleed out through town if you want to go the back yeah. way or whatever. And then I, I guess I came to a game in like 2017, the Clemson game, night game. And we were going to Charleston afterward. And it took us like two hours to just get out of the parking lot. Yeah. And I was like, wow. What, what, Just, what? So there's something going on there, and, and I don't know whether it's because they've revert, you know, wh- wh- whether it coincided with opening up uh, Gamecock Park or what. But there's so- something they changed that's it's just not working. It's it's, not, it's working. not, and it's not. I don't put it at the feet of the the troopers and those guys that are out there. I I, I it's whoever's over the the operations um, of, of the traffic operations in the city of Columbia, whatever that committee looks like from a, not just a university standpoint, but a city standpoint and its leadership, they got to fix it. You know, there was a time, and again, I've been doing this for 35 years, and I know a lot of you are like me. You, you, you've been around, you've seen it. We've, we've seen what the traffic looks like when it's bad and what it looks, could you, hey, what I just went through the last two weeks, can you imagine what it's going to be like when the dadgum fair's in town soon? I mean, come on. Mm. So like they they've got to they've got to figure it out and they got to figure it out quickly and there's been a lot of games over the years most years you see these troopers out here and they're on it you stop you shut your mouth and don't walk across the street you're going to get hit by a car and they and they're getting guys moving and and they're doing a hell of a job and and they're the best at it I don't know why why they they've kind of cut back in some areas I don't know maybe it's budget cuts I don't know but they have got to fix it because I'm warning you, I'm warning you, Carolina, you're going to have people giving up season tickets and not coming to the ball games. And then you're going to be asking why they aren't coming to the ball games. I'm telling you right now, this is a problem. So if you're listening, take it's not just some guy with a microphone. I'm telling you, there's thousands of people that have an issue with this. So let's, uh, let's work on that and, and let's get it fixed. All right. Uh, we got to take one final break. Uh, we still got a couple of things to get in. Don't go anywhere. It might go shade over one o'clock today, but that's okay because we love all of you and Mad Dog and and JC. We 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 all love each other. That's what it's all about around here. Love and traffic problems. We'll be right back. The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. 
Well, our taste in college football teams, or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs, or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in southern soil, are crafted by southern hands, and proudly represent the south in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Welcome home. That's what the Gamecocks say. And so does the Barndo Company, where they can build your dream home starting as low as $160 per square foot. If you live in the Carolinas, Georgia, or Tennessee, their turnkey process takes just four to six months on average and can be custom designed by size and details. Make your dream a reality. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barndo Company. Gamecock. Owned and operated. Hey everybody, this is Mo Copper from Carolina Football. The show is painted garden and black every day by a couple of painters. Go to LetMePaintSomething.com to check them out. Go Cox. 10% off for military repeat customers or mention the show. Interior, exterior painting, fencing, cabinet staining, concrete painting, popcorn ceiling removal, and more. 803-522-6832. LetMePaintSomething.com. Welcome to TravelingCountryClub.com, your modern golf club experience. Hey folks, this is Michael Manis, former Gamecock golfer, inviting you to play more golf with a membership to TravelingCountryClub.com. With over 40 courses across the Carolinas, our membership provides you with an affordable way to enjoy a club-like golf experience. From the mountains to the coast, we offer golf courses that will challenge all types of golfers, no matter your handicap level or level of play. Plus, we offer unique membership benefits not seen anywhere else as part of Traveling Country Club. Tee it up with Traveling Country Club, TravelingCountryClub.com, TravelingCountryClub.com, proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location, or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama Columbia and go Gamecocks. Charleston Fitness Equipment is keeping South Carolina in shape. Clients have come from all over the Palmetto State to find that one piece of equipment that they enjoy that keeps them looking and feeling good. Whether it's a home rower, treadmill, elliptical, free weights, a home gym, or something else, Charleston Fitness Equipment keeps the mirror smiling back at you. Get in shape like the Gamecocks do. Visit charlestonfitnessequipment.com. Gamecock owned and operated and proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Cool Joe will you? And when I'm not eating average jambalaya or celebrating endless summer in Destin, I like to eat pimento cheese straight off the bucket. Mmm. And the only pimento cheese I like to eat is from Nana's Porch. It's award-winning. It'll melt in your mouth. It's good on a cracker. It's good in a bowl. 
It's good on a piece of bread. Also, don't forget Nana's Porch has a hell of a food truck. It's award-winning as well, and they're here for all of your catering needs. So get online, nanasporch.com. It's mm-mm good. Coach O, signing off. In the summer, go Tiger. For chicken cock, we get a medium to medium plus toast, the char level. We use a number three level char. If you char it too deep, you start burning away some of those flavor components that you just created. If you just char a barrel and you don't toast it, you're going to create some of those flavors just on a thin layer just inside the char, but not the actual depth and full extent of flavors uh, that you're going to get if you toast it properly. All those elements, that's exactly what they do. They boil down to great flavor. If you're in the real estate market in the low country or even in the Midlands, please contact me, JB, with Coast to Coast Realty SC. Go Gamecocks. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. All right, final segment on this uh, Monday, September the 25th. Certainly glad to be back today with all of you. Again, thanks for everything. Really do appreciate uh, appreciate all of you uh, sending such ni- nice messages and emails and all that stuff. We've uh, greatly appreciated that uh, throughout the last few days. Um, by the way, it was, a good, it was a pretty good weekend of college football. Um, the... Arkansas LSU game, the Clemson-Florida State game, that ended up pretty good for Gamecock fans. Uh, Ohio State, Notre Dame. And you know what, guys? This week, it's it's another pretty good slate of college football. And, and this time, Carolina fans get to watch it all day because they um, Gamecocks kick off at night. What did y'all – what was your, like – was there, like, one big takeaway you had from the weekend? It, or it might not have had to be a takeaway, just like – your point of emphasis, like if I have to talk national college football from this past weekend, this is what I want to say, or this is what I want to talk about. Did you have anything like that? And three. It's wide open. I agree with that. That's a great way to put it. It's yeah. wide open. Yeah. I think the SEC is wide open. I don't, to this point, Georgia hasn't done enough to distinguish. Which itself, I mean, they're number one because they're undefeated and they were number one last year, but they haven't done enough to distinguish themselves. Uh, Vanderbilt has as far as the last place team, but one through 13, it's just kind of shaking up in a box. I mean, I still rank Georgia number one. Uh, I still think they're the favorites, but I mean, have you looked at Georgia this year and gone, oh my God, they're so good? No. Now, did you, did y'all see who Kirk Herbstreet has at number one? Washington? I know. Was yep, it Washington? Washington? Yep. I'll tell you this about Kalen DeBoer. <laughs> uh, there's another Muschamp story, right? You know, he kind of was a guy that Muschamp kind of thought about hiring as the OC here. This guy was a winner at Indiana. Goes to Fresno State, wins there. He goes to Washington, wins there. He's 94 and 11 mm-hmm. as a head coach. Well, hey, 
you know, he's um, he's about to be 95 and 11 because they've got to play Arizona this weekend, and they're going to beat them like a. Of course, Arizona is uh, is also uh, uh, three and one on the season. You realize there's five teams in the Pac-12 that are four and zero. Five. And I, and one of them's going to be six and this weekend because that that humble pie they're not finished eating that yet in Boulder. Um, no. Southern Cal struggled against Arizona State on Saturday night, but I got a feeling they're not going to struggle like that. Hey, and, uh, Marshawn Lloyd feasting on Pac-12 defenses. Fourteen yeah, looked, carries for 154 yards. I guess that. He looked good. Yeah, Arizona State so. was they were in it for a while. They were in it hey. for a while. That thing this year, Kenny Dillingham's 29 years old. I mean, he's a young, young coach. It's a mess, and it's not anybody's fault that's on the roster now or that's a coach there now. Is the, the ridiculous Herb Edwards experiment combined with some cheaters that Herb had on his, his team. And the administration there sucks. They have a terrible athletic director that's no business being an AD in college sports, and a president – who's clueless enough to, like, till the bitter end, still think the Pac-12 could survive. Yeah. And and, and, now he's, and he's eating crow because the Big 12. I mean, uh, but Arizona, ASU's going to be fine, man. They're, they're, of all the programs in the new, quote-unquote, Big 12, they, they've got the most upside. I mean, that's a deck. Um, that's a place you should be able to recruit well to. They don't have very high academic standards for – on campus and all that. I know they're in the AAU now, but you can get anybody in there. Uh, it's a big party school. There are a ton of uh, – there's a ton of interest in football there. They, their fans love football. They have tradition. Um, you wait. Uh, Joe Morrison was offered the Arizona State job after 84. Did you guys know that? And turned it down. No. You sounded like Coach Spurrier there. You guys know that? You guys know, you guys know, that? You guys know that? Joe Mo almost was a Sun Devil. I mean, seriously, they, they, they it was in some article, they wrote a book about it or something. It may have been in Bob Fulton's book, but he mentioned, he's like, hey, and he met with his staff because they were for, they were in New Mexico before they came to Carolina. Yeah. It's just kind of back out there. And he's like, you know, South Carolina's only won 10 games in its history once. Arizona's won it 25 times. Or as I say, you know, should we take it? At the end, they decided to stay. So I don't well, know. I'm glad he. Glad he stayed. Glad he did. We wouldn't have maybe not had Todd Ellis and Sterling Sharp and Ryan Bethay and Robert Brooks yeah. and Corey Miller. All those great ones during that time. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, I, I, you know, my, my take was the Pac-12 is good. The SEC is, yeah. is anybody's game. These teams are up and down. Uh, I thought that in the ACC, maybe it's a changing of the guard. Maybe it's not. I thought Clemson should have won the game, to be honest. Um, They're 0-2 you know, in the league. I also want to say that look out for North Carolina. And I've waited three weeks to say that because I, I just knew they were going to lose one of these four. They haven't. No. <laughs> they've, they've actually dominated Pitt and Minnesota by 17 and 18 points the last two weeks. Uh, so they, they have Mac Brown's Bay at Mac Brown's best team. You know, I, I was disappointed in Notre Dame. I thought I thought Ohio State proved they were f- physical and man enough, man enough to go in and win in South Bend. And Notre Dame better be careful because they could be completely out of the hunt if they don't win at Duke this weekend or at Louisville the following weekend. And neither one of those is going to be easy. Yeah, who do, who do, on the North Carolina n- Nugget? You know, who to thunk it that uh, 
on uh, October 14th that that that's going to be probably one of the top uh, two or three games maybe in in the country when they play Miami uh, in Chapel Hill um, you could have a top 15 matchup there between both of them more than likely though it will not draw college game day because you will have Oregon at Washington that week mm. which uh, they, they both will probably be in the top 10 and undefeated and then you also have Southern Cal visiting Notre Dame, although they were just in Notre Dame for, for game day. But um, my, my point is, if something kind of wonky happens, who would have thought that North Carolina and Miami could be the biggest game of the week coming up on uh, October 14th weekend when, when the Gamecocks host Florida? So, uh, I, But I agree with you. Look, and I, I think that um, North Carolina, they deserve a lot of credit. I, I don't know that they got enough of that after beating the Gamecocks the way they did uh, on our end. I think most of us thought that, South Carolina did enough to beat themselves, but uh, the Tar Heels certainly look pretty good with um, with what they're doing. And, and I'm with you. Tip, tip, hat tip to those guys. And hey, would you real quick before we run out of here too? I got asked this question question this morning on 107.5 with Gunner. I, it, it, how about Ryan Day and, and his reaction to <laughs> Lou Holtz? I mean, you know, I. I it, it, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You know why people are calling you soft? Look at that reaction. I mean, come exactly. on. Man. You got to be above that. You, what, who are you? You're yelling at an octogenarian. Well, uh, I mean, you know, he's right. He's right. I said the same thing. I said the same <laughs> thing. On. Ohio State <laughs> has struggled with physicality. You know, I mean, uh, now they didn't struggle you, with George. You were one Charles play from losing the game this weekend, right? One play. Yeah. And really, yeah, not like uh, you just walked terrible... in and beat the brakes off of them. That didn't happen. You yeah. want, you scored on the last play of the game. It's always one been bad half in years. Come on, give me a break. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, they've struggled. So, uh, but that's okay. I mean, hey, that that puts the Buckeyes up there in contention, and it shows. Well, okay. See, here's the thing. Now that they've done this and they've proven they're man enough to go in and win in South Bend. Their fans are going to expect him to go in and win in Ann Arbor at the end of the year, and if he doesn't, there could be some trouble on the horizon. Yeah, I, I just I thought that was out of line, man. I look, Coach Holtz has been doing the same thing for a long time with, with Notre Dame, with you know South Carolina. I mean he he supports these programs that he's coached at, and and he and you know he, he was he was essentially at a Notre Dame pep rally. All right, and that's what he did. I mean, and, and Ryan Day paying attention to that, I I just thought that was, I thought it was garbage. It, it was frankly. a perfect, and it was a perfectly legit take on the game. Look at what yeah. Michigan did to them last year, and look, look at Notre Dame's personnel. I mean, that was a legit take. Hell, Indiana held them to whatever. They yeah. Ohio State had not been impressive, and they're still not all that impressive. I mean, I thought their defense dug deep and played really, really well, and I think that they did match their physicality. But they were close to losing the ball game, and almost it was almost a disaster, you know, with with how they almost lost it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he's feeling the pressure a little bit. He's feeling the pressure a little bit. Yeah, I mean, how well, many day Ohio State teams can you just look at whatever game they're playing, regardless of opponent, and be like, well, it's probably going to look a little weird for about a quarter, quarter and a half, but they'll end up winning the game. I mean, you know, <laughs> that that's like his yeah. signature. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know that that that's 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 ridiculous. And let, let me just repeat this too. It's always been Ohio against the world, Ryan. Oh my you're god! From, 
All right, Lou, Lou Holtz is from East Liverpool, Ohio. He, you know, he tells the story all the time about when Daniel Weaver kicked the field goal in the second outback bowl. He puts in his book. He's like, I thought about my dad and how he used to sit up at an 80 night and listen to Woody Hayes and the Ohio State Buckeye thing. I thought about this. Just all the, the whole history of the Ohio State program. Right. You know, and he did coach for Woody Hayes there. And, and, and so, so Ryan Day, who oh, didn't even coach in Ohio until 2017 when Urban hired him. He's from New Hampshire, largely spent his college and pro career with the exception of one year at Florida uh, in 05 in the Northeast. Yeah. So he's a Northeasterner. You know, playing the Ohio against the world card uh, against a dude that's from Ohio? Come on, man. That's fake. Uh, you know, you're four games into the season. You you got to be careful saying things like that. That's the stuff that comes back to bite you when you get beat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Ohio, I don't. They have enough enemies. They, they got enough people that don't like them. They probably won't have more. Who uh, yeah. uh, Little tiny old man that used to coach football and. And he's achieved more than Ryan Day has. And uh, Ryan Day, I thought, looked pretty shallow uh, with those comments over the weekend. So my biggest takeaway, by the way, was um, was uh, Oregon made it personal. And they could have made it really, really embarrassing had they wanted to hang 70 on primetime in Colorado this weekend. But they didn't. Maybe they're leaving that job out there for Lincoln to do in Boulder coming up on Saturday night. We'll see. But uh, people are, are – and you know what? I almost feel – I don't feel bad for Dion. I'm sorry. That's a poor way to say that. You know, he's done an excellent job at creating buzz for his program. Uh, as it always happens, uh, the national media has latched onto this thing uh, like it's, you know, changed changed the lives of the, the poor, you know, to live all around the world. And, you know, Deion Sanders has provided some ray of hope we didn't know existed from another universe. And they've hung on every word he said, and people are tired of it. And I think that's where a lot of this is coming from with some of these coaches. Um, hey, look, you know, Deion didn't necessarily say anything negative about anybody. He's just promoting his guys, but media's taking it and run with it, and people are sick of it. So if they get a chance to beat them, they're going to beat them as bad as they can, generally. And uh, Oregon. Oregon this weekend was up 42 to nothing, and they went for it on uh, fourth and goal instead of kick the field goal. I should tell you everything. So. All right. Appreciate Pat DeMarco and uh, John Whittle for dropping by, as they always do on Monday. Tomorrow is Tuesday. Mike Morgan in Power Hour and Hale McGranahan as well. Looking great forward to that. Thanks to the Barn Dominium Co., Chicken Cock, and our friends at Sinorama in West Columbia. Thanks to all of you. Good to be back. Make sure you've downloaded the Chief Sports app. We'll see you tomorrow at 11 on Inside the Gamecocks, the show.